Hi everyone, I hope you're really well this week. Welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me, your host, Zoe Blasky, where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and more alive, whatever that looks like for you. So maybe this podcast is going to inspire you to look at your health and self-care. Maybe it's thinking about your career and making work work for you. Maybe it's looking at your relationships or your relationship with yourself and finally addressing that inner critic and making a commitment to being kinder to yourself. So I chat to all sorts of well-being experts and game changers to help you become your healthiest, happiest and most alive version of you because that is what I think is the most inspiring thing to become for our children. So on to this week's episode. It is with Gillian Lavender. So Gillian is a Vedic meditation teacher. Now you probably haven't heard of Gillian but you will definitely have heard of some of the really high profile and celebrity clients that she's taught to meditate. That includes the lovely Sienna Miller. So Gillian has been teaching people to meditate since 2003 and she co-directs the London Meditation Centre and the New York Meditation Centre with her partner, Michael Miller. And over the years, Gillian has helped thousands upon thousands of people learn meditation and transform their lives. She is also mum to a little girl. I loved my chat with Gillian. Her energy, the moment she walked into my house, was so calming. We talked about it at the start of the podcast. So we start off chatting about how she got into meditation and Vedic meditation in particular. The Veda is five to 10,000 years old. It's the oldest body of knowledge we have on the planet. And yet there are hundreds of peer-reviewed studies about what happens when you sit down and you de-excite the mind and the body. We talk about what it is, why it's different than other meditation and why you might find it easier than some others that you might have tried. We also talk quite a lot about the barriers that people face, particularly time poor mums with starting a meditation practice and how to overcome those. Be opportunistic. You know, I would grab 10 minutes or I'd grab moments. You know, you just have to, because everything sort of gets turned upside down there for a while, you know, and you have to be realistic. And the last thing we want to do is get stressed about not meditating. We get not too much into the science, but a little bit into the science, because I know a lot of you are really interested in that, how it works and why it works. And the bit that I found really exciting and compelling was when Gillian explains how using meditation can really help us when we're sleep deprived. And I know for all of us, that is something that we have experienced or probably are experiencing now. So I was really excited to hear about that. I absolutely loved this episode. As you know, I'm I'm really evangelical about meditation. It's one of the tools that totally transformed my life and my relationship with myself. Although I haven't ever tried Vedic meditation. So kindly after the podcast, Gillian invited me to come along and train with her, which I'm going to do. So I will keep you all updated with how that goes. But needless to say, I'm really excited. And I actually feel like learning this technique might be the next step 
on my journey with meditation. So here is the episode. I hope you really enjoy it. If you did, let us know on Instagram. I always love hearing from you. It brings me so much joy when you pop up in my inbox, either on my email, zoe at motherkind.co or on my inbox at Instagram or on a comment. I just love hearing from you all. So please do let me know what you thought. And here it is. So, Gillian, welcome to the Melikine podcast. Thank you. Thank you for coming to my house. I appreciate it. So lovely to be here. Such a gorgeous day. Sitting in the sun, having a cup of tea. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a very calming presence. I feel calm just being sat with you this morning. And I was a bit rushing around, so it's nice to just sit with such nice energy. So thank Mm. you for bringing that. Thank you. Have you always been that way? Have you always been quite a (laughs) calming, (laughs) calming presence in the world? Oh my gosh, no. I think I was definitely a bit of a stress bag back in the day. You know, when I learned to meditate, and I'm showing my age here, but that was 24 years ago, and I was living in Sydney. I'm originally from New Zealand. I was living in Sydney, and I was in that mode of, you know, I'm this young kind of into my career and I'm go, go, go. And what were you doing? What was your career? I was responsible for starting up a division of a global publishing company. So it was a Swedish based company and I was setting up the Australasian division and talk about being thrown in the deep end. And so, you know, my boss was in on the East coast of the US and the head office was in Malmo in Sweden. And I spent my life on a plane and I was working across time zones and I was strung out and I was tired and I was always sort of getting the flu because the jet lag and everything. My immune system was just not great. And I was feeling pretty overwhelmed by it. I was on one hand loving it and ripped up, but I, you know, I just wasn't balanced for sure. And I found out about meditation through a friend, his father, actually, somebody who I knew and really respected. And he was an insomniac. Somebody had had a lifetime of issues around sleeping and, you know, you name it, he tried it and nothing had really worked sustainably. And then he learned Vedic meditation and started sleeping. And this was kind of a big deal, you know, and it got my attention. And I have many people coming to us who have issues around sleep. I think we have an epidemic in relation to sleep and energy. I'm just seeing it all the time. Now, some people will come, and you know this in your work, they may be having trouble getting to sleep. Sleep onset is difficult, or there's that waking up at three in the morning and you've got, you know, a gazillion to-do lists rattling around and you can't get back to sleep. I was more someone who was what I thought was sleeping, you know, kind of okay, but I would wake up when that alarm went off and I would just push that snooze button and I did not want to get out of bed. And I felt tired and I was like, I've had six, seven, eight hours, but I was just tired. And in the afternoon, especially, I remember, you know, my energy levels would really take a dive and I would be propping myself up with caffeine and sugar and all sorts of stuff in those days. So it had unsustainability written all over it. And so I was interested. I have to say, you know, this is going back a while. So there was no Headspace app. There was no mindfulness. It, you know, meditation was still kind of weird. It was considered hippie. Yeah. Because I, I learned 12 years ago and I remember telling my friends and they were like, yeah, what? Yeah. And now I tell them, they're like, 
which app you're using. Yeah. You know, it's like the landscape's totally, totally changed. So I can't imagine oh 24 God. years ago. Weird. So you had your interest peaked by this. Yes, by although this there was friend. some nervousness around it because I thought, oh God, this is just going to be all a bit too woo-woo or brown rice and sandals for me. You know, I was like... And at that point where you totally closed off to that side of yourself and of life were you quite yes absolutely I didn't grow up in a spiritually oriented family we weren't religious we didn't go to church we didn't didn't have any of that kind of background and it was a sort of a product of achieve and do well and study and career and I was sort of off and running you know that whole aspect of my life, even in regards to, you know, care around what I was eating and exercise was full-on exercise. And and I was, you know, young and my system could handle it, you know, to a degree, although the signs were there that, you know, it wasn't going to be a good strategy going for the long term. But I went along to an intro talk about meditation based on this recommendation. I thought, oh, there's just something here. And... You know, it was such a relief because I walked into this room and there was my soon-to-be teacher and he looked normal and all the other people in the room looked normal. You know, it wasn't all brown rice and sandals, I found it. And really importantly, there was so much science behind this. You know, this is ancient knowledge. The Veda is five to 10,000 years old. It's the oldest body of knowledge we have on the planet. And yet there are hundreds of peer-reviewed studies about what happens when you sit down and you de-excite the mind and the body. And that, I have to say, was reassuring for me in that place that I was in at that moment in my life. I think most people would find that yeah. reassuring, unless you've come from that yeah. very open spiritual background. I think most people like to know that there's some science behind this yeah, practice think, that this unknown thing that you're about to embark on exactly because that's the age that we're in isn't it you know it's that scientific age and so I resonated and I just jumped in and I kind of don't remember making the decision I was just like yep and I took the course and I started to notice changes quickly what changes Firstly, my energy levels. So I started waking up before my alarm clock, which had not happened. But also that that energy was sustaining itself through the day. Because in Vedic meditation, we meditate in the morning before the day gets going, take all that energy and that clarity into the day. And then late afternoon, early evening, we sit down and we rest the mind and the body very deeply again. And we clear out all of that stress and tiredness from the day. And it's like you kind of start another day and I think as a mother you know I always feel that you know it's like I've got two days you know I've got the first part of my day and then when my daughter kind of comes home so then there's a second phase and then the night shift yes exactly you know (laughs) maybe there's three or four yeah yeah so energy that was the first thing and then secondly less anxiety as I alluded to before you know I was feeling pretty overwhelmed I was feeling yeah I was just a bit of a worrier you know I had a lot on my plate And it wasn't like my life suddenly changed when I started meditating. What was really notable was my response to those demands changed. You know, it was how I was engaging with them. And I was feeling calmer. I was feeling more grounded. And I think those two things, the energy and that groundedness, meant that I was just much more productive. You know, I was just getting through stuff. I was much clearer. I had been putting things off, you know, procrastinating about stuff and obsessing about other stuff. And I found myself letting some of that go and actually putting my attention on things that actually mattered. 
It's funny, you know, that I always laugh because when I'm teaching so often, there'll be somebody who'll come in even on those four days of the course. And it's a four day course that we do. And they'll say, oh my God, I've just started cleaning out that drawer in my kitchen or, you know, that something that some job that they've been putting off, they just start getting on with it, you know, doing stuff that, you know, you're freed up to do when you're not why does that happen why does sitting down and we are going to talk about what vedic is and how it's different to other forms of meditation but Mm. why does that happen that you can sit as you've described it morning and evening and suddenly you find yourself facing things you hadn't been able to face before i think it's primarily due to two things energy and stress what is the effect of being tired what is the effect of being stressed Neither of those things are good for us. It's very costly to be tired and stressed because you never make your best decisions when you're tired and cranky. You just don't. You don't have the clarity. You don't even have the energy. And it's interesting, you know, I just was talking with a journalist about this. You know, she was interviewing me about what's the effect of stress in relation to certain political events that are going on at the moment. (laughs) And... You know, we were talking about this thing that can happen with stress. Essentially what it does is it creates a situation where our response is going to be inappropriate. Now, that could be overreactive and aggressive. It could be underreactive and kind of a bit sort of overwhelmed and sort of paralyzed. You know, I just don't know what to do. I can't do anything. And it's very interesting. And I'm seeing this a lot in the work that I'm doing. So it's a function of those things obstructing our ability to actually deal with the demands and have clarity about what is the most important thing. Because at the end of the day, we all want to make the right decision. You know, that's what we want. And If there are things that are kind of obstructing and getting in the way of that, then we're undermining our ability to make good decisions. Yeah, I relate to that. I would use the terms fight, flight and freeze around stress. And I definitely do the freeze bit, the under when things get too much. I basically just can't do any more. Some people, some of my clients keep going more and more and more and more and more. But you're right. It's all the same thing, isn't it? It all comes from the same place of... Of stress. Okay, so I think it would be a good point to describe a little bit this sort of mysterious word that you've dropped in a few times that no doubt a few people are Googling already. You don't need to Google, we've got the expert. So tell us what Vedic meditation is and where it comes from, because you mentioned it's one of the oldest forms. I'd like to share a bit more about that and maybe how it's different to what people might do, say, on Headspace or Calm. All right, so let's start with this word Vedic, which is not a word that we come across every day. So Vedic, V-E-D-I-C, means of the Veda, V-E-D-A. And Veda is a Sanskrit term, and it means knowledge, pure knowledge. It refers to a body of knowledge which is ancient, So we don't know exactly. We know it's more than 5,000 years old. And there are references around that time to this ancient knowledge. So five to 10,000 years. So, I mean, if you just think about that, that is ancient knowledge, which is quite fascinating when you think that we have access to that now in these modern times. And this is something that predates things like the Buddhist tradition by many thousands of years. From this body of knowledge, the Veda, we get things like yoga, meditation, Ayurveda, which is a big part of my training. And this is this ancient system of natural health care. Yeah. 
Ayurveda. So these all come out of this Vedic knowledge. And of course, you know, my focus is in this area of Vedic wellness is the meditation specifically. So Vedic meditation, that's where it comes from. And brilliantly, it's a technique which is absolutely relevant for modern day life. It's not like we have to sort of take ourselves away from life in order to practice this. It's a simple, natural mental technique that we sit down in a chair and we close the eyes for 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the late afternoon. And in doing so, we rest our mind and body many times deeper than sleep. This is very interesting. It comes back to what we were saying. I read this study or someone quoted this study to me and I've never been able to find the original study. Mm. So maybe offline you can... Cause, yeah, Because I've heard this in a lecture. I think it was three times. I heard that it was three times. And I was so blown away by it. Yeah. But I've never been able to... So maybe afterwards you could... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, there's so, so much. And it's really interesting, actually, because this knowledge came out of India and was brought to the West sort of in the late 50s, 60s, 70s. Thousands of people were learning to meditate. The Beatles had done it. Everyone's like, hey, man, John and Paul are doing it. I'm in. There was this real sort of wave of people. And it was at that point that this research began, 1970, 71, 72. And in this initial research, it was identified just how deeply rested. And and the way that we identify this is through the metabolic rate. So the rate at which somebody is processing oxygen. So you start running down the street, your metabolic rate, not fat metabolism, oxygen metabolism goes up because you need that fuel, that oxygen. When we sit down in the chair and meditate, then there I am sitting on the train or sitting on the sofa here, or I can do this anywhere that I can sit and close the eyes and feel safe, then I will, within minutes, my metabolic rate will have dropped to a level which is two to five times deeper than the deepest point in my sleep last night. So the other day I was in between meetings, I'm sitting on the train, I'm meditating. Now, nothing weird, I'm not chanting, I'm not sitting in some sort of pretzel position, I'm just sitting here with my bag on my lap and... I'm thinking a very particular sound. We call this a mantra. And a mantra comes from manas, which means mind, and tra. It's where we get our English word traction or tractor. So mantra, it's a mind vehicle. It has pulling power. It's like something has traction. So we use a particular class of mantra in Vedic meditation, which is called the bij mantra. And what it does, when we think it silently, in the mind, it has this inbuilt self-refining mechanism. So you think it in the mind silently and it automatically and spontaneously becomes softer and fainter and softer. Like an anchor. It's kind of like an orienting device and it's pulling your mind. And so as the mantra is getting finer, the mind follows it. And interestingly, and this comes to your question about how is this different from other things, is that the mantra is doing the work for me. As a meditator, I'm not trying to quieten my mind because as the mantra becomes more refined, it becomes more charming and more charming and more attractive, more traction. And so this is what our mind wants. Our mind wants something that it perceives to be charming. So the moment you say to somebody, right, stop thinking, don't think, just focus on your breathing or just focus on the candle flame, you're immediately setting up a battle with 
the mind you know and it does feel like that because yeah. I do breath meditation obviously after this I'm going to try later but yeah I do breath meditation and, and when I first started it felt like battle mm. it doesn't now but yeah. it's been a long time yeah but it did I really relate to that it used to feel like I'd have a thousand thoughts I mean I was having a thousand yeah. thoughts in yeah. that five minute sit mm. absolutely you will the mind cannot be active without content this is just a fundamental principle. So what we're doing in Vedic meditation, and here's a little bit of meditation jargon, what we're doing is we are transcending. Transcend means to step beyond. We are stepping beyond activity. We're stepping beyond thought to arrive at that least excited state of consciousness, which is a state of being. We're human beings. We're not human thinkings. So the mantra is the orienting device. It's like the key in the ignition. It gets it all going and it leads the mind easily, effortlessly, and then it disappears. And for a moment, the mind falls mute. Mm. It sort of drops into that settled inner Isn't state. Isn't that the best feeling oh, ever? Oh, yeah. Oh, I just sometimes have that feeling and it's like a piece I've mm. never known yeah and in that moment what could the mind possibly think of that's more blissful than that you know however what we experience in Vedic meditation is that thoughts do then bubble up and they bubble up because as that mind has settled down the body is also now resting and the body wants to eject stress and fatigue and we Why need, does the body want to do that? Because it wants to be in a state of balance. It wants to be in a state of homeostasis. You know, we're not a machine that keeps going for 100 years and never stops. We have these circadian rhythms. And every 24 hours, you know, it's good to get horizontal and close the eyes and rest. In order to recover, in order to heal, in order to prepare for the activity that's coming, this is essential, this balance between rest and activity, rest and activity, yep. going on all the time in life. Interestingly, one of the first things that goes when we're tired and stressed is our ability to rest, which is why I'm seeing such an issue around sleep and all of that in the work that I'm doing. So when we layer in these two mega doses of deep, deep rest in our day, it takes the pressure off sleep. Sleep can then become more restful because our body is looking for that ability to get back into a balance point and stress comes about through excitation and overload and pressure and what we're doing in meditation is the opposite we're countering de-excite rest and we're resting efficiently and it's so easy and it's pleasurable you know so often we add these things into our routine you know and it's like oh god I've got to do that I've got to do my exercises and I've got to do this and it becomes another chore and another thing you know and I can really say to you, and I hear this from my students all the time, it's very different with this. It's like, God, I can't wait to meditate. You know, I just can't wait to get in the chair and close my eyes because it feels nice when I do it. Most importantly, it feels great on the other side, you know, when I come out of meditation. And at the end of the day, that's why we're doing it. Yeah, you if know? it didn't feel good, none of us would do it, would we? Yeah, I remember truth. going to some yoga course thing and there was this sort of rock star, you know, yoga teacher and she was like, right, we're going to do this meditation thing, you know, and you've got to do it for 10 minutes and it's going to be really hard, but, you know, you just do it for six months and you're going to start to see some changes. And I'm just like, what? Who's going to do You know, like you're asking people to do something which feels miserable. They're not going to see any benefit from it sounds to me like you're going to have a low uptake, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> on that one. I remember I had this woman. She's such a delight. She was 69, 70. She came along. She said, look, I'm a bit of an old hippie. You name it, I've done it. She came to meditation because her daughter had learned. And she is really into yoga. She's just this most beautiful woman. And she had tried all sorts of things. And I remember she sat down and she did that first meditation with us. And she came out of her meditation and she's, oh, just the relief. She said, it's easy. It's easy. It was so easy compared to everything else she'd been doing, you know. And now she's a very long-term meditator. But I think she really kind of captured that sense of just, wow, you know. And it's like anything in nature. When we resist nature, it's going to feel rough. Yeah. It's going to create a lot of friction. When you're in the flow, when you are in alignment with nature, it's smooth, it's frictionless. And if you're sitting there doing something that's really hard work, then possibly you're going against nature, mm. you know, and that's not our experience in Vedic meditation. Easy. So the mantra, because mm. some people might be thinking, is that religious? What's yeah. the word? Am I going to have to start talking in Sanskrit to myself? You know, yeah, all yeah, these yeah. things that I imagine is coming up in people's minds as you're yeah. talking about <laughs> that's this. A good question. Yeah. What is the mantra? Do you get given a personal one or does everyone have the same? There are certain mantras that work best for certain groups of people. So our training is to be able to allocate the right sound. It's not a sound that has any meaning. It's a vibration. It's a um, what we call a primordial sound. So it is a sound which has resonance with the vibratory quality of your nervous system. And so in meeting you and asking you some simple questions, we're able to determine what's the right sound for you. So it's not any old sound. It's very, very precise it's very specific and you learn from me or from Michael, my partner, or from someone who's been trained correctly, you would get that sound. So you can't just start, if someone's really inspired after this podcast, they can't just start. They'd have to come and be taught. Yeah. Okay. And I'll put in the show notes where people can go to either find you or... Yeah. Is it cost prohibitive? Can people learn this we try. in an accessible way? Yeah, that's really our goal is to make it accessible. Everything in nature, everything in life is a function of what we put into it. And so there is a stepping up and, you know, receiving this knowledge, which is going to be transformational. And I don't say that word lightly, that it needs to be meaningful. However, our approach with this is very much in alignment with how this knowledge was transferred over the ages. And that was based on somebody turning up, making contributions that were relevant to them, you know, what they earned in the fields last week, or, you know, that's their contribution. So we actually have a sliding step scale. And what this means is that there is an entry point and there's an amount that's relevant to everybody. There's a minimum, there's a maximum. You work out where you sit on that. It's an honor-based system. The whole point of it is accessibility mm. and that it's meaningful to you. This is something that you are taking, it's a, it's a moment to take some care around and also doable. And we, you know, invite people to spread it out over 10 months and there's all sorts of ways that we support people. So yeah, of course, we you know, we want more people doing this and we want people to be stepping up in a way that when they are ready and they are open and they are curious and they're willing to 
and they recognize what's on offer so, and I think it's important yeah and I think a lot of people listening probably have tried meditation yeah I don't know if that's your experience how might this be different so say someone's tried the headspace app they might have done that take 10 thing you know it's free to do the first 10 sessions and maybe as we were describing before been quite shocked at how busy their mind is that they weren't able to focus just on the breath how might someone Mm. find if they came to see you or another practitioner how might someone find that experience different I think it comes back to this quality of being able to settle down the mind in this easy and effortless way to experience something which is deeper than an experience of thinking. So what we're doing is we are bringing about this experience of de-excitation to the point that we step beyond thinking. And that's different to sitting there contemplating something or focusing on something or being guided through something because there's some cognitive activity going on. There's some thinking happening. Mm -hmm. Now, in what we're doing, we are going deeper. We're going to that state of consciousness, which is the basis of all of those thoughts. So we're cutting to the chase. We're getting right to the fundamentals aspect, that least excited state, as you described that, you know, it's like that inner reservoir of deliciousness that's there inside. And what I would say to people is no amount of trying is going to get you there. Actually, that's going to stop you getting there. Now, yes, I am getting a lot of people coming to us who have tried to meditate. Are you seeing that more and more? Yes, yes, yes. Busy, busy. You know, because people are, you know, I I don't want to ever sort of poo-poo, you know. Anytime somebody sat down on the train and just put their phone down and close their eyes, that's a great thing. You know, that's a step forward, you know, great. These apps, you know, it's a stepping stone, you know, onto the kind of the ladder, as it were. And, And I think the only watch out with that is if somebody has an experience of that, they try it, they get minimal results, or maybe they just don't stick with it. I think that's the thing. They try. I had a woman, she came to me the other day, she said, look, I've done the app. I do it for five days. That's all I can handle. And then I stop. And she said, I know I tried it for another five days, but you know, it just doesn't stick. And so if somebody had that experience and then came away from that thinking, oh, you know, meditation's not for me, or I could never possibly do it. My mind's too busy. For me, that would be Oh no, you know that absolutely you can. Anybody can, anyone. can anybody. If you can think, you can do this. I teach children, I teach all ages, all walks of life. This is not a religion. You don't have to believe in something. You don't have to change your life. You know, it's not like you learn to meditate and you've got to have kale juice and, you know, stop having flat whites. It's not that. I think what you said before really resonated with me. And this is my experience in meditation is that although now my life has changed, when I first started doing it, nothing changed. But my response to the things changed. It was almost like I was in a lot of drama and chaos and I was totally over-identifying with that. So I was the drama and chaos. I think the practice of learning to watch my mind, separate from my mind, I then took that into my life so that I could step back a little bit from yeah. the drama and curse, thus making me feel so much calmer. Yeah. That was my first That's a great way thing of that I realised. Yeah. And that would have been after a couple of weeks, I remember feeling all this stuff is going on and there was a lot going on, big stuff going on in my family. And I remember thinking, all this stuff's going on, but I'm not responding in the same way. And I remember thinking, gosh, that must be the 
meditation and then I was sort of yeah you know You're I did not it in that reaction mode yeah like, I wasn't yeah. I was responding to things rather than reacting yeah so it's such a such a powerful shift and parenting oh talk about responding Ooh. and reacting any demands on our... Because um, you're a parent. Yeah, yeah. So, Michael, I have our daughter, Loi, who is, as I was saying to you earlier, five and three quarters, and that three quarters is very important. And, you know, Loi came to us late in our life. You know, I had got to a point where I didn't think it was going to happen. Uh, How old were you? Do you mind me asking? I was 45 when I conceived, 46 when I gave birth. Wow. Hmm. That was meditation. <laughs> yeah, you know, life had been going along in such a way that I hadn't been with anybody that I wanted to have children with. And then when that happened, I'd done all this stuff. I'd had this career. I traveled the world. I lived in all these different places. And, you know, there I am in my mid-40s. It wasn't, you know, I had a little few little blips along just because I think of my age and all of that. So some miscarriages and things. And then, you know, I got to a point. I thought, "Mm, okay, maybe this is not going to happen. You know, I'd let go. Then I got pregnant. Um, hey, hey. Um, something in that. Just a small metaphor for life. Yeah. So, you know, just the physical demands of that. Although it's interesting, I think, and, you know, there's a lot of research about this, you know, meditation certainly impacts the ageing process. So, you know, there's different... How does that work? Well, it's fascinating because, you know, we think about ageing, right, Okay, so, you know, someone's had 40 birthdays, so we think they're 40, yeah? That's actually their chronological age. However, if we want to get really scientific about it, we want to look at their biological age. Yeah, because people say that on those shows on TV, don't they? They say, well, your biological age is 50, but you're only 20. Exactly, exactly. And there are different factors that we measure, and that all kind of coalesces into, you know, a biological age. They'll come up with a reading. Now, what happens with meditation is that what we see is a reversal in the aging process the biological age goes back and this is compared to a matched control group and there are good longitudinal studies on this you know long-term meditators so that would be somebody who's been meditating for more than five years one study has shown there's a biological age which is 12 years less than the matched control group because if you think about it constantly living in a fight flight Stress is aging. It's premature aging. Stress is synonymous with aging. And it burns our energy. Yeah. Yeah. And you you only have a finite amount. So it's going to age you. The body's wearing down. It's, you know, we're becoming depleted. We are compromising our immune system. You know, the body has all the stress chemistry coursing through it. You know, that. So, of course, you know, we meditate and that means that there's not that wear and tear. There's not that sort of mm. effect on the body. Where were we? Oh, me and getting yeah, pregnant. We, yeah, we, you, I'm interested because I'd been meditating every day for about nine years when I had Jessie. But when I had her for the first six months, I just couldn't get to my practice. Hmm. I really, really struggled with yeah. it. Partly of why I then started Melakind because then I got myself back on track and felt like me again and realised I wanted to stop sharing some of this stuff more broadly yeah but I'm interested were you able because 20 minutes yeah morning and evening when you've got there's lots of people listening who'll have young children maybe three under three or you know three under four yeah were you able to keep that up and what's your advice for people to fit in 40 minutes is quite yeah I think it's different you know well I certainly found in that you know I was 
getting to grips with breastfeeding and that was a little bit of a struggle in the beginning and so a nice settled practice of 20 minutes twice a day went out the window in that sense. That's good to hear. I feel a bit relieved. <laughs> yeah. um, I, mean, I like, thought I was worried you were going to say, no, I did it perfectly from oh God, the moment no. she no, was No, born. no, no. There's a word that I would use for mums, and it was certainly my experience, and I see this in my students, is be opportunistic. You know, I would grab 10 minutes or I'd grab moments. You know, you just have to, because everything sort of gets turned upside down there for a while, you know, and you have to be realistic. And the last thing we want to do is get stressed about not meditating. However, one thing I do really counsel people on in that state, and it was something that was important to me, was this idea that when baby rests, Mum needs to rest. And I think in our society, because we don't have, you know, my parents are in New Zealand, you know, I didn't have a whole network of extended family around. We've lost the village. You know, we've lost that, you know. So there I am, not knowing what the hell I'm doing with this baby, you know, on my own. I mean, I had people around, I had friends, but, and, you know, I think there's something very particular about having family. And so, you know, it's harder, you know, it's like I have to organise the next meal and I have to put the laundry on and I have to do all that stuff. And so there's this tendency of, okay, right, she's asleep. Right, now I've got to get going. That's and what do most everything. my clients do. Yeah. But it, I think it's so complex, this. Mm. You know, for the last 18 months I've thought about this a lot and talked to clients about mm. it a lot. There's so many things at play with this rest when the baby rests thing. Because like you say, one is that we don't have the support. So your mum's not going to sweep in and say, go and lie down, I'll make the dinner. Yeah. Or I'll tidy the house or I'll reply to those emails or I'll pay that bill or all the other things that you still... Yeah. Life doesn't stop, does it? Yeah. And then I think what I notice in so many of my clients is this sort of toxic perfectionism. Yeah. So much pressure. The pressure to... You know, the friends coming around for the play date that the house looks tidy and there's a cake baked, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And I think the interplay of those two things mean that modern women, modern mothers, find it really hard to do what you're really hard to when the baby's asleep, think, I'm going to leave all this stuff. Yeah, I think so. And I think they've been achieving often, you know, they are coming to this motherhood thing later in life and that's been preceded by them being out you know in the I say world, that you know? I say that to my clients I say all the things that made you successful pre-motherhood are going to be all the things that are going to make this really hard for you yeah. so your need for external validation your ability to just keep going your perfectionism I said all those things got you to external success yeah they're not going to work for you now yeah and you've been rewarded for all of that yeah and we get, you get rewarded to this and yeah it's like Oh, actually, yeah. Was that I, your experience a bit? Although I suppose you were quite deep into your journey, weren't you? When yeah, you... I mean, I, I you know, I had been meditating for a long time. You know, I became a teacher of meditation in 2003. So, you know, and Loie was born 2013. So, you know. But I think people are still <laughs> going to find it really helpful I... to hear that you found it challenging yeah, despite absolutely. being a teacher for and 10 I, years yeah, prior. Absolutely. And I think... It's just one day at a time, you know, that was yeah. I was in that mode. I did grab those moments. I did. And I guess I had a partner who was understanding of that and encouraging me to close Which my eyes. It makes a difference, and, doesn't it? Because if you've got a partner who says, you're kidding me, you want to go and meditate. Yeah. You, you know, know, like what the, <laughs> what's you wrong know. with you? Yeah, exactly. So I did have that. And I think there is this thing that comes up as a 
parent and I think particularly my experience as a mother is that there's this just unconditional giving, 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 giving and on all sorts of levels, emotionally and physically and all of that and you surrender and parenthood is just this big surrendering of preferences, you know. So this whole idea of we surrender, we surrender in order to give, it's really important. You know, what are we doing to continue to give and what are we doing to restore our own energy levels and our own balance and our own peace of mind so that we can continue to give there's that cycle and this is why I always say to mothers taking that time out to close your eyes is in fact the most generous thing that you can do for your children and for your family because it raises your capacity to give that which is of value rather than giving that which is not of value. So you giving cranky, tired, snappy mum isn't good for anyone. And we all know what that feels like, don't we? When you're at the bottom of that well, I know what that feels like. And like you say, I do think, you know, fathers, absolutely, but I think when we go down as mums, the whole family feels it. Yeah, that's the matrix. It's the matrix point, you know? And so when we think about it in those terms, you know, think about it as being the most generous thing that you can do. And then what we're giving is something which is going to uplift and be of value. And it's not that we're, we don't know that. It's just that when we get caught in that cycle of tiredness and we missed out on some sleep and, you know, all that good thinking goes out the window because you're having a fight-flight reaction. You're in stress mode. And no matter how much positive thinking or, you know, how many books we've read or whatever – gone because you're in snappy snappy mode you know and that's not because you're a dummy or it's not because you that's your essential nature it's simply because you are having a reaction and you're having a reaction because there's overload and there's stress and there's tiredness so what we want to do is we want to release that and when we're meditating for 20 minutes twice a day we're releasing stress and fatigue faster than we're gaining it so we get ahead of the game then I can come to the situation with what you were talking about so beautifully before you know it's like that buffer zone yeah then I've got the capacity to respond I can see it with the perspective that I need rather than just jumping in there and yeah clients will say this to me they'll say I feel like when they first start working with me not at the end they'll say (laughs) I feel like I'm one thing away from a breakdown Like if one more thing happens, I think a lot of people relate to that. You know, I'm spinning all these plates. Yeah. But, you know, if mum gets ill or if one of the kids gets really ill, you know, then there's not the capacity. Like you were talking about, it's that balancing off. You know, we live these, I don't think we've lived in a more stressful time. Mm -hmm. And like you say, it's almost like part of our contract almost to give back to ourselves and sometimes I say that if you can't do it for you if it feels selfish do it for your children yeah absolutely that's why I really think it's it's not selfish it's generous you know it's necessary it's you necessary that's a good well, word you know you staying well is you have people who are dependent on you and what are you bringing to those relationships relationships are all about what you give and what are you giving You know, I talk about this a lot in the work that I do because there is one constant in life and that is change. Everything is changing. Especially with children. Especially. change every day. Oh, my gosh. You know, it's like... You don't like the green plate now. You like the pink plate. Okay, let's go with it. You know, it's this toy. No, it's not that toy. You know, it's like 
Yeah, I was just thinking about that this morning because, you know, Loie had been obsessing about one particular thing and that's like, no, that's not my favourite now, you know, and we're on to something else and it's just that kind of switch that happens, you know, within seconds. And so what life is asking of us is adapt, adapt, because, you know, change is coming all the time. Now, the thing is... is Darwin. People think about survival of the fittest. It's really survival of the most adaptable. Exactly, exactly. So what I say meditation is doing is it's bumping up my adaptation energy, my ability to adapt. So rather than being one event away from meltdown, I actually have a reservoir. My bank balance of adaptation energy is in the black. I've got lots of zeros, you know. Then when that train doesn't turn up or that child throws up and, you know, whatever it is, I have the capacity to draw down on some reserves and then I'm going to be able to respond in a way that's going to be more helpful, more appropriate. And then crucially, you'll top up those reserves. Exactly. Either that morning or that that evening. So when you teach, because you must have taught thousands of Mm. students, I'm particularly interested in the mothers. What are some of the barriers that you hear to people doing this? And how have you helped people overcome them? So time is clearly a massive one. Biggie. That's the biggie, I think. How do you help people make 40 minutes a day for themselves? Some of my clients come to me, they can't find 40 minutes a week. I think that's quite a common out there. I hear that a lot. I relate to this. You know, I didn't have children when I learned to meditate. And when I heard 40 minutes, I was like you got to be kidding. You and know? you didn't have children then. Yeah, I didn't yeah. have any children. And I, like, freaked out. I'm like, where's 40 minutes going to come from, you know? Now, what I found and what my students find is that when you invest that 20 minutes twice a day, you are clearer, you are more energised, you are more able to focus. You don't have to read that sentence three times before it sinks in. You know, you are more effective and more efficient. And I felt like I gained time. It was interesting. I was talking to one of my students Mm. the other day. Time is relative. She's sleeping an hour and a half less. And she said, I have more energy. I'm now exercising. I'm doing stuff that I wasn't doing before. I've gained time, even though I'm sitting around with my eyes closed for 20 minutes twice a day. Now that's compelling. Mm. Really interesting. Time is our most precious resource. You get 30 minutes and it's gone. You don't get it back. So what are you doing with your time? And I would say this is a smart investment because it will give you more time back. And that I know might sound a bit, oh, that sounds fantastic, but, you know, the reality. But actually, there's so much flexibility. When I'm working with mums, you know, some mums are getting up a bit earlier. They're finding it easier to get up. I know that sounds like a bit of a nightmare for some people. Like, how could I possibly get up any earlier? Especially if the kids um, are up at 5.30 or 6. Yeah. One of my <laughs> other mums, she does drop-off, and then she sits in her car. She locks the door, puts the window down an inch, puts her sunnies on, and she meditates. You know, there's flexibility. It doesn't have to be at the same time. It, we can find those pockets. One of my mums, she's doing the drop-off and then she hops on the train and she's off to work and she does it then. So, you know, there is... Yeah, you can this, do it. Which, what would you be doing otherwise? Scrolling Instagram or reading about the terrible state of the world? Yeah. You know, some, you know. one of my favourite quotes is this Liz Gilbert, mm. who I love, and she says, what are you willing to give up to get what you say you want? Mm. And I always remember that. And it can sound a bit harsh, but 
I think it's really true. Like we all say we want to feel better. We all want to feel calmer. Well, then we have to do something differently, don't we? We can't keep doing all the same things and expect to change, like you said. Yeah, it's like Einstein, you know, you're not going to solve a problem at the same same level of thinking that caused it. You know, and we're making choices all the time. We're all making choices. It's just a question of what's your capacity to make those good choices Mm. and are those choices getting you closer to where you want to be or further away that I think about that most days Mm. yeah so time is a biggie but there's a whole lot of flexibility and you know I think what mothers recognize very quickly is that this is so beneficial to their health and their ability to step up emotionally and physically on all levels that it's you know it just becomes like one of those things that you do you know I have non-negotiables in my life you know I don't go through a 24-hour period without sleeping and without eating and without drinking some water and without meditating you know it's like those are the things you know that I do in order to ensure that I can step up in the way that I want to Mm. and I like it you know I enjoy it that's the thing as we were saying earlier it's not hard work it's really enjoyable to do and you feel better afterwards Mm. so I'm interested as a meditation teacher I think people might have a perception of you especially with your calming voice and presence (laughs) that you're like perpetually in this state of calm do you have triggers do you have parenting triggers do you shout at your daughter do you lose it sometimes And what do you do when you do? Or has meditation given you enough of that buffer now? I do experience frustration (laughs) and irritation. And yeah, I think I'm certainly a different parent as a result of meditating than I would be if I wasn't. So it makes a difference for sure. Am I sort of walking around in this sort of bubble of blissfulness all the time and not getting my buttons pushed. No, although my default position is not one of reactive and stressy. I don't think it is. But yeah, there's times when afterwards I think "Mm, that might have been too much. You know, I remember a moment when I sort of raised my voice at Loie and I thought, oh, that was a bit. And, you know, she and I sort of unpicked that and talked about it. So, no, I don't aim for this sort of perfection. I think what I aim for is balance. And if I make a mistake, you know, that's what a mistake is, it's a mistake, it's a misread on something, then I want to note it and I want to do something about it so that I'm not repeating it. Mm -hmm. I think the times when I've been not at my, say, my best have been when I've perhaps been she's been up all night you know and I'm just been tired now you know I can sit down and meditate and I recover really quickly so I'll go through a night where she you know recently she had some bug and it was pretty rough but I was able to get up in the morning and meditate and I can recover quickly press the reset yeah it's like the reset button happens really fast Mm. so yeah wouldn't say it's does your daughter meditate with you Yes, so Loie learned earlier than most children would. So <laughs> I mean, that's not surprising. Both have parents yeah, in meditation. Yeah, teachers. so she sees it all the time. I'm actually just about to do a course for the children of my students. So I tend to, for those of my adult students who have children, I'm offering what it age, up. maybe? Six to nine is the first Jess age. Jess is only three. 
And so they learn a little word of wisdom and they can just, while up sitting here playing or being driven in the car or something, they can do it with eyes open. They don't have to close their eyes. So Loie was saying to me, you know, she was doing it in the playground the other day. You know, she was just thinking her word. And actually she was talking about it to one of the teachers because I've taught the teachers at school, you know. And so they were talking about meditation. It was so sweet. But, yeah, six to nine, depending on the maturity of the child. And then once they're about 10, 11, then they can do a little bit more eyes closed. And, you know, an 11-year-old will meditate for 11 minutes and then every birthday they get another minute and they kind of go up from there. Loie will sit with eyes closed with me for a while, maybe three or four minutes, you know, not much longer than that, maybe a bit less, Mm. and then she's off. Mm. But she definitely uses it. A question I want to ask you about your daughter is if you could instill in her or model to her one thing about life what do you want your daughter to really know about life that you didn't know that you now do oh sorry Gosh, huge question. So i like asking these questions it's a great question <laughs> it's just a long answer i like it's yeah, so many yeah, things yeah, yeah. Um, we'll say say many things well i think one of the things you know i know that she's coming into a world that's going to be very different in five years and 10 years and 15 years If she's able to deal with change, if she can be adaptable, then I think that's one of the greatest things and not be afraid of change, to have that resilience and that adaptability and that flex, you know, that ability to be flexible. I think that's one of the greatest skills that we can give our children because, boy, they're going to need it. They really are, aren't they? I sometimes, I don't project because I get too scared, but sometimes I allow myself to go forward a bit and I think, Oh, gosh. Yeah. What's it going to be like in 20 years? The thing that I really want to do for my child is help her to find out what it is that she loves and that she is good at. And if I can help that, she said to me, I remember this when she was three, she said, but, Mummy, what am I going to be? What am I going to do? You know? And I said, I don't know, Loie, but we're going to help you. We're going to help you work it out. And if we can help our children find what it is that they love and that they care about and that they're good at, then, hey, you know, they're in a good place. So She's lucky because she gets to look up and she sees you doing something you love, you're good at and you care about. Same with my daughter. That's one of the things I feel most proud of. Yeah. If you can model that, then that opens up a very different way of how they can prepare for life and what they need. And they see that and they see the potential and that, and that's normal. That's normalised for them. I think that would be Mm, Amazing answer. Thank you. (laughs) And the final question is if you could give just one thing to all the mums in the world. What would it be? (laughs) Other than a mantra. You can give them a mantra. Uh, No one's given them that. (laughs) I think that they are in such an important role, honouring that role and acknowledging what it is that the power that they have in our society is something that I would want to be able to instil in them, the sense of self-assurance around just how vital their role is because they are key to creating the next generation you know as we said it takes a village to raise a child that role as a parent you know you are developing this next generation and you need to honor that and it is such an important 
role and it's no more important in the world you know it's just it's such power and that and for them to have self-confidence around that and to know that I think that in itself is such an important thing and that's not just getting too sort of self-important around it you know it's just having that in a sense of yes there's such value in what I'm doing every day every day it's just I'm shaping this little human and boy we need that to be upgraded in the world and they are the ones they are the ones that are going to change the world so whatever support we can bring to them now because they are the agents of change it's not going to be the oldies in this generation it's going to be the young that are coming so that role that you play you know know it and own it and if you can bring some ease and some energy to that fantastic beautiful thank you so that's it thank you for listening to the episode i hope you really enjoyed it and if you did please do leave a review on itunes it does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content if you were listening to that episode thinking about one of your friends that they might benefit from what we were chatting about then just tag them in on instagram my bio will include the link to the podcast so they can find it really easily from there people often tell me they're desperate to share it with their friends so if that's you then please do i feel like the guests that we have on the podcast their wisdom just deserves to be heard far and wide so help me make that happen I'd be very grateful. And also, if you want to send me any comments or thoughts about the episode, then please pop over onto Instagram at motherkind underscore Zoe. And also, just to let you know about my coaching. So I do work one-on-one with mums on my programme, which is a three-month programme called Reconnect to You. So if you want to work with me on taking your power back in any area of your life, then please do get in touch. Just drop me an email, zoe at motherkind.co or look on the website, www.motherkind.co. That's it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care. Hi, I'm Lauren. And I'm Nicole. And if you enjoy this show, you will love our podcast, Self Care Club. Every week, we trial a different form of self care and report back on the results. We've tried everything from cuddle therapy, setting boundaries, laughter yoga, and many more. Two friends who rarely agree on anything, testing out the world of self care so you don't have to. We've even written a book dedicated to self care practices that cost you nothing. You can listen to Self Care Club wherever you get your podcasts. Or to purchase our book, search Have You Tried This on Amazon.